for me, business is about doing good in the world. And absolutely to continue to do good in the world, I have to make money. For me, that's really the driving force. And also to keep a roof over my head. I come from a nonprofit background. Just because you are doing something with a social mission doesn't mean you don't have to worry about the bottom line. Like I wish I didn't have to worry about being profitable. It'd be so much easier and more fun. Most women start their businesses because they are passionate about something and they want to make that passion into their purpose and into their job. And you're doing it successfully. Welcome to the iFund Women Show, where we are talking to one entrepreneur about one huge problem in her business, and we are going to help her solve it. I'm your host, Karen Kahn. Let's do this. Thank you for having me again. It's good to, it's good to be back. I feel like though, I've been like seeing you everywhere and I feel like I, I know what's going on in your life, which is kind of cool, but our listeners don't. Your podcast was one of our most listened to and most engaged with, because I think a lot of people, yes. And for those listeners who are just tuning in now, we talked to Elizabeth and I'll let you, I'll let Elizabeth tell you who she is in the business she's running in a second, but we talked to Elizabeth back in the spring when she was just starting to think about how she was going to monetize her really cool offerings. And I'll let her tell you about it. But ultimately the, the podcast was about how do I stop giving away my very valuable services and products for free as Elizabeth launched during COVID, the pandemic, George Floyd was murdered. And it was a time when people in the black and brown community, especially given Elizabeth's business, I mean, I keep saying you're going to tell people a lot of it. I might as well just tell them at this point. Elizabeth started a, a collaboration physical space for activists and social entrepreneurs in DC. So talk about the epicenter of people who needed services and a respite, a community, people that understood what they were going through. And understandably, Elizabeth was comping a lot of the services because it was a pandemic, everyone was unemployed, all the things. So that's what the original podcast was about. And it was really popular. So I think your story in the problem that you were trying to solve, which was how do I transition my wonderful free members to a paying plan? Cause I got to keep the lights on here. So what's up? Yeah. You know, I, I just want to say, I think the episode probably resonated with folks because a lot of people probably found themselves in the same position of wanting to serve their communities through their business, but also not wanting to take advantage of people, you know, wanting to provide a service from a, a values-based perspective. And what I found with your encouragement is that my community is willing to support me in return. They're willing yes. to pay. <laughs> yeah. Ugh. They're willing to pay for products and services. They're willing to support me through the crowdfunding campaign, through other means. So, so just a quick update. You know, after our conversation, I did implement the Epiphany Circle, which was our virtual co-working model. Yay! Oh my God. Uh I, I mean, I'm very happy to hear that. I've been thinking about that epiphany circle for months and wondering what has happened with it. So please go on. 
Yeah, we did about three months of Epiphany Circle and people did pay for it. And I was testing a range of fees, I think from $5 to $20 to $65 for a two hour meeting. And I did have people pay five, 20 and 65. So folks were, you know, the data that I collected definitely did indicate that people were willing to pay me for that time that we spent together um, with the virtual co-working and the epiphany circle. Elizabeth, that's so fabulous. I, I really had no doubt because the truth is, and for people that want the real meat and potatoes of what Elizabeth offers, listen to the first episode because we're not going to go through it all again. But P.S., what she was offering was not like the virtual co-working that you think like we do this at work where we have like a Zoom open all day. And when people, you know, miss each other, they'll come on and pop in and blah, blah, blah. What she was doing was really helping people think through strategy on their businesses. And people were having these incredible ideas that they could activate on. And that was really, it's coaching. And so just the rebrand of it, I think, well, let me ask you, Elizabeth, do you think it was the rebrand? Do you think it was the rebrand with the different levels of options of what people could get? What do you think drove those three very different price points? I think the, I think a few things happened. So I think the people who had been attending the virtual co-working, some of them were willing to pay because they saw the value. I think the lower price range allowed people who were curious about EPOD A, which is DC's first co-working space for Black, Indigenous, and women of color who are making social impact. Um, it allowed them to learn more about what we were doing, about what I was doing, about the community, to see who else was in the space, who else was interested. And folks at a high, you know, at, that were coming in at the higher price point, you know, I found that those were the people that knew the brand, were familiar, wanted to support, um, and believed in the, the promise that I was making through the Epiphany Circle. Because they were there and they experienced it, right? Yep, absolutely. That's really cool. That's so great. How does that feel to be paid for your work? Oh, it feels, it definitely feels amazing. Um, you know, I think I'm someone, I put a lot of time and care into what I do and it shows. So I, you know, people are always getting value. I get great feedback. And so to have that feedback in the form of dollars spent is, is very rewarding and encouraging. Yay. Oh man. That's awesome. That's awesome. It's so great. And I had no doubt truly, but you never know. I mean, it's hard to sell stuff and it's hard to sell stuff online. It's hard to break through the noise and you've really, you've done it. You've done the hard work and here you are. So what do you think your growth opportunities are? Where have you seen people really leaning into paying for products and services and where do you think the company's headed? Yeah. So, um, what I noticed earlier this year in, as we were heading into the summer was that people were becoming a little less interested in online engagement, you know, folks who were vaccinated and who were able to start going out into the world with some sense of security and safety. Um, they were taking those opportunities to, to meet up with folks in person, to travel. And so I quickly pivoted. I, it wasn't a pivot, but going back to the original idea, which was convening people together in person to have that magic that kind of happens when you share space and you're mm-hmm. able to see people face to face and eye to eye and exchange energy and 
connect in a way that just is really impossible online or on Zoom or over the phone. So I, in June, we held our first in-person co-working pop-up. It Yay. was, <laughs> oh my God, that's so exciting. It was, it was really exciting for me to see um, what I had been envisioning come, come to life finally. Well, it was almost like you saw the business that you built and these people that you got to know in, like they were right in front of you. You could give them a hug. Yeah, absolutely. It's like going to make me cry. That's so cool. Cause you've been doing this. Like, let's remind the audience. So you launched in 2020. Mm -hmm. So it'll be almost two years. Well, no, like a year and a half or something Yeah, running the business. And you finally got to meet your customers. Right. Yeah. I would say, so when I got to finally meet people, it had, it had been a year and a half because I had started working on it, you know, December, 2019, January, 2020, I was actually looking at spaces in DC, going around doing some of the legwork in the city um, to see what the possibilities were, you know, and then the pandemic hit. And so that's why I ended up doing um, virtual programming and virtual community building and now I'm able to meet that community in person to uh, create the space that I, I have envisioned for so long. Um, and people are, again, finding value. So in June, we held our first pop-up and we had a, another one um, in late September. And I will say that the energy in September was off the charts. Uh, people, <laughs> it was just- I'm sure. People are partying in the streets up here. I'm telling you, everyone's like, I am out. I've been vaccinated 10 times. Yeah. And people, you know, it's been a long year and a half, almost two years of isolation, of working from home, of being disconnected and socially, physically distanced and this, you know, this awkward life that we were living and people were ready to be with community. They're ready for networking. Um, So where did you have it? Where did you have these two pop-ups? The first pop-up was at an event space in DC near Logan Circle and The second one was at an office, the office of a a creative consulting firm in Noma. And uh, unfortunately that office is now closed, but um, we were able to partner with them. They actually found us through a live pitch that I did with Black Girl Ventures and Halcyon. Oh, awesome. Yeah, so that was a really cool partnership. They provided a branding strategy workshop for people who attended the pop-up. So it was a great opportunity for people to come together and learn. Um, the programming piece is super important to me. Uh, I want to help members of the community build skills, build power, create the impact they want to see in the world. And so offering them programming that helps them do that is, is a significant part of our business model. So when you say the one in September, which is, was it the creative space mm-hmm. was like popping off? Did you charge a ticket price for that? Or was that? Yeah. So tell me about that. So actually charged a little bit more than I did for the June pop-up. So the June pop-up, um, our early bird price was $25 for the day, um, $75 for all three days. And you get to bring a friend. So, um, oh, smart. That's so yeah. smart, Elizabeth. Yeah. Had some different levels, different ways for people to, um, engage in the, in the event. And this time it started a little bit higher. I believe the early bird was $30. Um, and then it, you know, went up after that. And then people could also rent out a private office for the day because there were some private offices in the space for $75 for the day. 
So, so that money all went to you. Yes. Good. No, that's yeah. the right answer. That's the right <laughs> answer. Yes. Is the right answer. My friend, there, all the money I mean, there, for all the women. Now you are not running a charity. My friend, you're just not right. So I'm, I'm so happy that that's that answer. So even if the space you won through a pitch competition, great. You leveraged that space to drive revenue for your business. Brava. Yep, exactly. Exactly. This time around, um, even though there was the cost of the space, the cost of some of the amenities that we had in the space, I was able to make more profit, to have a better profit margin because the price went up and costs went down. And so that was something great for me to experience as a business owner to figure out how to do that, how to add value while also making a profit. Yes, that is what it's all about. That is what it's all about. And I feel like 2021 is really, at least for us too, we became profitable in 2021. It was the first year of profitability and it feels, thank you. And congratulations right back to you. And these are the metrics that we should be focused on. Not how much venture capital did you raise? Not how much this, that, like, are you running a profitable business? Because the profits then go to the owner. You can make yourself a salary. You can make yourself more money. I mean, that's what businesses are, right? It's when you have customers paying you for a product or a service. And at the end of the day, you make a profit and you get to live off of your dream. That's the goal, right? Absolutely. Even though, so I will say hearing you say that still makes me a little uncomfortable. And I, I really have to unpack that. Let's do it. Which words? Um, I guess like that's what business is all about. So for me, business is also about doing good in the world and absolutely to continue to do good in the world, I have to make money. So for me, that's really the driving force. And also to keep a roof over my head, I have to make money. Um, I come from a nonprofit background where, uh, <laughs> you uh... know, on, uh, yes, the suitcase is now unpacked. Understood. And I want to clarify, obviously that's not what business is all about. I mean, I run a company called I Fund Women. We're asked if we're a nonprofit every single day. Just because you are doing something with a social mission doesn't mean, A, you don't have to worry about the bottom line. Like, I wish I didn't have to worry about being profitable. It'd be so much easier and more fun. But I do because we have employees, we pay their salaries, all the things that you just said, right? So most women start their businesses because they are passionate about something and they want to make that passion into their purpose and into their job. And you're doing it successfully. Just to clarify a little bit, I understand why you had sort of like a gut reaction to what I just said originally. And I'm glad you clarified that because I think that's important for our listeners to understand. Yeah. And I'm having to constantly kind of remind myself that there are ways to do good through business. So creating jobs, for example, at our last pop-up, I, I hired a, a young student at Howard University, who's also an entrepreneur. She has a lip gloss business to help out with the event. And so she was able to get paid for her time Love to it. be exposed to the women, folks in our community and to learn from the workshops. So, you know, I absolutely know there's power in in making money and being able to bring that money back into communities to support others um, through jobs or through other things. Absolutely. That is exactly right. This is so cool. So, okay. So you did 
your two pop-ups and are you thinking about, and I know that like an overnight success takes five to 10 years. Being an entrepreneur is really quite exhausting. You sound very like you've got energy for days. You're <laughs> catching me at a moment where I'm like, I have, I have energy for minus five days right now. It's just, you know, one of the phases we're going through where it's just like labor, labor, labor. And that's okay because we don't BS around here. So I'm not going to like pretend to be all like, yay, startup bill. But how are you in terms of your energy? And then where are you taking Eba Day? What, what do you think the plan is? Yeah, so we have um, an upcoming event. We've started partnering with other entities. And I think collaboration is a solid way for us to go, especially as we continue to develop our programming model. So we're partnering with two organizations here in D.C., on some financial and business wellness programming that'll happen in this last quarter of 2021. So October, November, and December, we're having this financial wellness series. That's um, cool. So you're going to go into their space and deploy the programming. Yeah. So we're creating space together. And so my role is to curate this community, curate the safe space for um, Black women to gather in and to receive this programming from the two other partners. That's so interesting. So you're the second person I've talked to today about understanding what your role is. Mm, absolutely. And I, I think what you just talked about, if you can expand on it a little bit, would be really helpful for listeners because a lot of times it's, it's very easy to lose your way in understanding what your role is. And I was just talking to Winona Satcher from Maker Studio, who's another one of our podcast regulars like yourself. And she was talking about her role has evolved from one of the only Black women in real estate manufacturing in the South to being an actual change maker in her community through creating jobs and creating safe spaces for people to work. And that really was so powerful to hear because I've been questioning my role a lot lately, like, because working in the spaces that we work in where we're, we are businesses and we are creating products and services, but we're creating them for people who are marginalized. So women, people of color, immigrants, et cetera. And so it's hard sometimes to really know your role. And Winona was saying like, once she realized that her role was to build this business, be a massive employer and create a very valuable business owned by a black woman in Atlanta in this construction industry, that's her role. Her role is not out to be marching. And we started talking about this because I was saying, oh, I had such like a moment of guilt because I didn't go to the abortion marches. I didn't even right. know about them. And of course, I would want to be marching. I'm like, but you know what? I'm just so fucking tired of marching. And like, the best thing I can do is like stay behind this computer and find funding sources for women entrepreneurs so they can build their businesses. Right. She's like, but that's your role. Be comfortable in your role and know that other people are going to be marching and that's okay. So tell me about what that brings up for you, if anything. Yeah, I'm, I'm very clear on my role because... I've, I've learned over time that you can't be everything to everybody. And if you try, that's just a, a recipe for disaster, for burnout. And so I've also learned that there is strength when we work with other folks, when we stick with our role, we do that really well and invite other people into our space and into different opportunities. 
to create something really powerful together. So getting back to the idea of whether you're going to open up a permanent space or not, when we think about the future and what your role is shaping up to be, how would you describe that? Yeah, I would, I would describe my role as a curator of safe space, a convener of BIPOC women and femmes who are ambitious and driven and motivated to create change. And my role is also to facilitate connections to people who can share their skills, can share resources, information that will help those women and femmes accomplish what they want in the world. That was so beautifully said. I mean, so beautifully said. So do you think that you are going to need to open up and invest in a permanent space or do you feel that? Oh yes. Interesting. Okay. So tell me about that. So the, the idea with IPAD is really for us to have this safe space, this sanctuary, a place to go to meet other people, to be in the same space, to have workshops and programming and retreats in the space. The physical space is at the foundation of what I'm trying to grow. And that physical space is necessary for the other pieces to come together, for the programming to happen, for these gatherings that I'm working on in the pop-up format to have a, have a home. And so for Ipade, it's absolutely a next step is to secure the permanent space with the, you know, appropriate financial means. And I'm, you mentioned VC and equity funding is certainly something that's on the table, but I'm finding that there might be greater opportunities with bootstrapping and with debt-based financing in the near term. So um, that's something I'm looking at to secure and build out the permanent space in downtown DC and to grow from there. That is so exciting. And you mentioned equity crowdfunding. I, I mean, listen, unsolicited advice. I think you should do that. I really do. Because you would have so many people supporting you and then they get to be investors in your company. I like support everybody's equity crowdfunding thing, not because I'm in the crowdfunding business, but because I want to be an investor in people's companies. So like I fund women, people, you come, obviously it's rewards-based crowdfunding. It's the first thing you do to prove demand you're getting cash. And that's great. And you did that and you crushed it and had an incredible campaign. Thank well you. done. No, my God. I mean, you're so brilliant anyway. So like that goes without saying, but for the listeners who don't know, go check out IPADE, I-P-A-D-E. Yes. There's definitely um, ways to support us. For example, if you go to our, our link tree from Instagram, there's ways to support us there. Okay, good. I am a huge proponent of equity crowdfunding. If you ever want to talk about it down the line, like we coach. It's so, it's so interesting because crowdfunding is crowdfunding. It's when you're selling your product, your service, your mission, your vision, your dream to a network of people that you mostly know that are going to buy into it. Now, with equity crowdfunding, there are platforms that offer different things. Some platforms offer a homegrown sort of built-in investor base, and that's great. You also have to look at whether they're accredited investors or non-accredited investors. I like, in my opinion, Non-accredited investors are the reason why equity crowdfunding is amazing. Because when you think about it, even some wealthy people who you would think would be an accredited investor, 
aren't. You have to have a certain amount of assets invested in the stock market. You need to make a certain amount of money. You have to become accredited investor and accredited investor. I don't know all the rules and regs around it off the top of my head, but you can't just wake up like that. Even if you're a rich person, you've got to go through some steps. So what I love about the platforms that do unaccredited investors is two things. Number one, first and foremost, it truly democratizes investing for everyday people. So we all have everyday people in our lives who would like to own a piece of our business, but are not accredited investors, but who would want to put in 250, 1,000 and actually own a piece of EPA day. That's power. That to me is ultimately what's going to start to move the needle and change, close the wealth gap in some way. And again, this could be in another hundred years, like when the wage gap is closed and the funding gap is closed. Mm-hmm. You know, we're talking about steps that we can take now that will take a long time for all the wrongs to be corrected. This is my very idealistic, happy moment coming out, like a moment of like, you know what, we're doing some cool shit, all of us. And mm-hmm. like, we should feel proud of ourselves. I fund women has empowered women to create well over a hundred million dollars of funding for their own businesses that they wouldn't have had access to before they've created tens of thousands of jobs. And like, I'm really proud of that. And I haven't said that in a long time. So thank you, Elizabeth, for giving me space to say that (laughs) I never, I never say that like ever. So, okay. But the point is what I love about equity crowdfunding for unaccredited investors, it allows anybody in your community whether it's your members and especially your members, by the way, you've built up a huge audience. Your Mm -hmm. members can then be owners in your company. And there's such power in that. I love that for you. Yeah. As, as you're talking about it and explaining more about it, I'm like, oh, that actually does align with my values and the values I want the company to have around ownership and self-sustainability and self-determination and equity. Yeah. And access to the possibilities of the growth that people make an investment and they get returns later. So, um, absolutely. And you're already focused on being profitable, which makes you very different from most startup founders. Seriously. You know, most startup founders are like growth, growth, growth at any cost. And that's sort of like the Jeff Bezos model and the Silicon Valley model. But the fact that you're going to be coming into, if you decide to do equity crowdfunding, if you're coming into it, you're going to come into it as a business that is profitable. And that's what people want to see. I don't invest in stuff that's not profitable because like, why? Right. Because when you think about an exit, and I know this is telling us five minutes, we love you, Sophia. Thank you. When you look like down the road, and I know this, you've just started. So looking down the road might be like a little bit challenging, but at least I found it challenging. Investors are like, where do you want to be in 10 years? You know, the truth is we're just doing the work every day and building Mm -hmm. the best products and services and solutions for women to be able to raise capital, period. Mm -hmm. And whether that's enhancing our coaching to teach different things that will help them raise capital. And by the way, the best form of capital, as we know, is revenue. So if you think about five or 10 years down the road, if Ipade were to exit and sell to another company, what do companies want to acquire? Profitable companies that are going to throw off cash. No one's acquiring because you're not a tech company and iPhone women is a tech company, but what our value is, at least our members, our customers, our customer relationships, and the efficacy of our products and services, and the fact that we're throwing off cash. 
So it's just things to think about. I kind of asked you a question and told you an answer in the same thought. I just rambled really, but I think it's just like getting you to think about like, okay, you're going to do an equity crowdfunding raise and people are going to want to know, like, what's your exit strategy? Like, how are they going to make their money back? Like, when's the ROI coming? And it's not right. like you have to say like in your video in 10 years, we're going to sell to X, Y, and Z. I think it's more about, we are running a profitable business. We need to grow. The original vision was to open up this space, we ready, and mm -hmm. we're profitable. So you can bet that you're going to get a return on your investment. And by the way, there are ways to do return on investment without selling. And that's a mm -hmm. whole other episode. But yeah. you know, a couple years down the road, if you're really crushing it, let's just say you raised $500,000 or a million dollars. A couple years down the road, if you're really killing it, you could pay your investors back with a little bit of a dividend. And people will be like, oh my God, I just made 20% on my money over two years with Elizabeth's company, which is 3X the market. So there's lots of fun ways to think about financing your company and like rewarding your investors. And mm -hmm. I'd love to like brainstorm with you on that one day. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I love these conversations and I always learn so much when we chat. But I did want to ask you, is, is equity crowdfunding a direction that iPhone Women is headed in? It is. Absolutely. Oh, it is. It is. But you know what, Elizabeth, it's not going to be out for like another year because there are lots of things you have to do with FINRA and the SEC and document management. And there's a bunch of tech we have to build out. So don't wait for us because you are hot right now. You're going to be ready soon. So okay. offline, I can recommend some companies that are from the beginning have been women friendly. You know, they're all, they're all run and owned by white dudes. I mean, for the most part, but there's a couple that are actually really great people. So I would say like, if you're going to give your fees to anybody, like, let it be yeah. a good person. Mm -hmm. Well, it was, I mean, wow. I actually really didn't expect, not that I didn't expect you to be crushing it because you're a baller, but like, we only spoke a few months ago and it's hard to take a sales funnel that was giving out a bunch of free stuff and turning it into a profitable business and scaling it as fast as you did. So this was unexpected and oh my goodness, congratulations, seriously. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. And like I said, these, these conversations are always enlightening and encouraging and um, got me into shape, you know, got me into shape to rethink how I approach it and to know that I can support my community and they can support me and we're building this business together, essentially. I love it. Okay. So the next pod, think about it. And I think if you're going to equity crowdfund, we should do like, we should do a whole pod on like getting you ready and we'll do some oh. research and we coach on equity crowdfunding. We coach for other platforms. It's very similar. There's just some, there's a bunch of nuances that are obviously different, but if you decide to do it, hit me up okay. and um, we can share our learnings with our friends who are listening in.